I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Hear now God's holy word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ or God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, this is indeed your word. We do pray that you would speak directly to our hearts this morning. We pray that you would reveal uh, falsehood in our hearts, that you would correct us, that you would fix our eyes on Jesus. We, we do want to know him and his power. And so would you help us to begin doing that even this morning? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Proverbs 21, verse 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You are living in a way that you think is right. Your way of life, your mindset, you believe it's right. But what if you're wrong? What if you are tragically wrong? Because Proverbs also says there is a way that man believes is right, but in the end it leads to death. If there was somebody who thought like you do, lived like you did, and understood, saw the danger of that way, and what was right, would you want to hear it? Would you be willing to listen? The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, uh, there's this wise teacher, presumably Solomon, and he seeks to understand what is the meaning of life, and he has everything at his disposal, and so he pursues 
meaning in every way possible, wisdom, pleasure, building, work, joy, every which way. And his conclusion was that it was all meaningless. His final uh, summation at the end of the book was simply this. He said, here's the whole sum of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. But what if we misunderstand even that? Because there was a man, a Pharisee, by the name of Saul, who was zealous for the law. Zealous to keep the law. Zealous to follow it in every which way. He studied it. He practiced it. He checked his own life. And he was dead wrong. And he quite literally saw the light. The Lord Jesus Christ in blinding light, revealed himself to the Pharisee Saul, whom we know by the name of the Apostle Paul, and told him that the righteousness in yourself is meaningless. The only righteousness, the only thing worth pursuing is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness that is from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And beloved, what he tells us in this passage is that that Perfect righteousness is ours by faith if we are willing to suffer the loss of anything within ourselves and pursue with zeal the purity, the perfection the per of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. Now this passage is uh, a, a warning uh, but also an exhortation, an encouragement in our faith. And we'll look at this passage under three simple headings that we must rejoice, we must find our confidence, our boast, not in the flesh, not in anything within us, but in Christ Jesus, and finally with relentless pursuit. Relentless pursuit. So he begins in verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He's talked about rejoicing in the Lord all along. He's said it in other books of the Bible. We've heard it. We know it. And yet we need to be reminded of where our joy must be. It must be in the Lord. And there's a protective quality to this emphasis. He says it's safe for you. It's safe for you because... Our hearts, my heart, your heart, we are ever prone to trying to find our righteousness, our, our right standing before God in something within us, anything within us. But we must not rejoice in the flesh. Verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He is warning us against these individuals who are most likely the Judaizers. Now, students, you might know that, might not know that name. The Judaizers were uh, Jewish Christians in this day who held to the belief that in order to be part of the people of God, in order to be right before God, you, a Gentile who was coming to Christ 
had to become a Jew. They had to follow the Jewish laws, and particularly, they had to be circumcised, the Old Testament mark of the covenant. And these Judaizers dogged Paul's ministry over and over and over again, and Paul rallied against it and spoke against it harshly, particularly in the book of Galatians. He said, this is a false gospel. This is no gospel at all. It robs the gospel of its power. It's not true. And there's no indication that the Judaizers had made it to Philippi by this point, and yet he's worried that these Judaizer missionaries might show up. And so he warns them to look out, to watch out. He says, watch out for the dogs. Now, dogs in those days were not the cute, cuddly, house-domesticated animals like what we think of. They were... uh, Unruly, they were ferocious street dogs that fed off of trash in the street or dead animals or dead bodies or excrement. They were foul beasts, they were ferocious. Some people would hold, uh, keep dogs as guard dogs, like we might today, and they might post on their house, Beware of the dog, like we would. But Paul turns that around and he says, Not a dog to keep out intruders, but the dogs are the intruders. Beware of the dogs. These vicious people that are going to come and try to distort the gospel. And there's a bit of irony too because the the Jews would use the term dogs to refer to Gentiles as second class citizens. Those outside of the covenant. And here he's saying, no, these Judaizers are the real dogs that will tear your flesh. He says, watch out for the evildoers. The Judaizers would say, this is how you are righteous. This is how you're good. And he said, no, you are the evildoers. You are the ones promoting evil. And finally, he says, watch out for the mutil- those who mutilate the flesh. It's a clear reference to them because they would require circumcision, a cutting of the flesh. But he doesn't use that term. He, there was a pagan uh, ritual that was uh, there at that time where they would mutilate the flesh as part of the pagan religious worship services. And Paul's connecting these Judaizers with their circumcision to this pagan ritual. They're, they're mutilators. And this is such a problem because it distorts the real gospel. Because of what he says in verse 3, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, the Colossian letter, he said that uh, in Christ Jesus, by faith, we, were, we are circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. In one sense, that's what baptism is a, a sign of, that in Christ Jesus, it's not a, a cutting off of mere foreskin, and the filth of that flesh. But in Christ Jesus, all of our fleshly nature was put on him and cut off as he was cut off from the land of the living. And through his resurrection, we've been given the power of a new life. And so Paul can say, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and put no confidence in earthly, fleshly worship or customs It's of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. 
But Paul says, well, if you want to play the game of uh, putting confidence in the flesh, let's play that game. We'll play that game. I am the grand champion of that game, and I will take anybody on, and I will show you that I've got even more reason to boast in the flesh. And he uses the language of uh, accounting terms, games and losses, like he's doing a balance sheet. And you can, you can see him sitting down with his, uh, his spreadsheet. He opens it up and he creates two columns. He's got gains and losses. You, you heard it here first. He likes spreadsheets just as much as I do. And, and, and he puts seven items in his gains column to give himself a perfect resume of position and achievement. He says, number one, uh, you're all about circumcision. Well, according to the law of God, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's what the law says. Before the gospel even came to Philippi, before many of you were even in the faith, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Number two, I am of the people of Israel. Some of you are Jewish converts, but I was born an Israelite. I am a true Israelite. Number three, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe that in Deuteronomy chapter 33 says he is the beloved tribe, the beloved of the Lord. And so much so that his pedigree is he is the Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a perfect example of what it means to be a Hebrew, both in his position but also in his achievements. Because number five, oh, you're all about the law, observing the law. Well, guess what? I chose to be a Pharisee. I've got a PhD in the law. And you, you're all about zeal in the law. Well, I am, was so zealous for the law that I was willing to pursue the church and persecute the church when everybody told me, Saul, exercise restraint. Even my mentor Gamaliel said, Let's just wait and see what happens here. He said, no, I'm going to pursue them. They are wrong. And finally, seventh, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I crossed every T. I dotted every I. There was nobody who could have said, I follow the law more perfectly than me. And so he finishes that list, and he's got his seven items in that column. And then you see him highlight the entire column and drag it over to the lost column and drop it. And in the first column, he puts one word, Christ. And he increases the font bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where he has to maximize the screen just to see just that word. There's nothing else but Christ. Because what he says is, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Beloved, what would you put in your gain column as something that makes you right with God? That your, your accolades that you would place before the throne of God to say, God, I have done this for you. Whatever it is, it wouldn't have matched Paul's. He was the best of the best of the best. And he said, I counted it all as loss compared to Christ. Because whatever is on your list, we must not rejoice in the flesh or find our boast in the flesh, but only in the Lord. 
And it's an active thing. He says, um, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse A little bit further down. He says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's an, it's an active thing. When he says, I've suffered the loss of all things, it kind of sounds like something that happened to him, like these, all these things were taken from him. And there was an element of that, like, but we might say, well, you know, my house burned down, and I suffered a total loss. The loss of all things were consumed in the fire. But the sense of what Paul is saying there is, I set fire to the house of my earthly ambitions, and my pride, as the, as the hymn says, I poured contempt on all my pride. And he can do that because he counts it all as rubbish. Now you may know that uh, the word Paul uses there is, is stronger than rubbish. It's more like street trash or excrement or dung. The sense of what he's saying is like, I, I count all that has lost because, brothers and sisters, it's all crap. Compared to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, that's the only thing worth keeping. And, beloved, we must set aside all earthly ambitions, all righteousness or anything within ourselves. Anything that we hold on to crowds out even lessens the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. We must set it aside. We must suffer the loss. Any sliver that we hold on to prevents us from grabbing hold of the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ requires both hands, both arms, a full embrace, all of our strength. And if we hold on to even one thing of ourself, we lose our full embrace. Like the hymn, which we will sing later, says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. What, what are you holding on to? What have you been holding on to? Is it that you can say, well, I've done a lot of good things in order to please God? Or I'm going to do a lot of good things. I, I've resolved to do a lot of good things. Or um, I've I have this zeal, this passion to put to death the sins in my life and to be holy and pleasing to the Lord. Beloved, those things are good. But those things are not what give us God's favor. Our favor before God, our acceptance, our righteousness is only Jesus Christ. Only his Perfect righteousness is ours. We will never outdo Paul. He was the cream of the crop, and he said, this is the way. If we hold on to even a microscopic bit of ourselves, we have negated the grace that is ours. We have turned the perfection into imperfection. And beloved, this is received by faith. Notice what it says. This is a, the, a righteousness uh, not of my own that comes by the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. 
The righteousness from God that depends on faith. It is a righteousness outside of us. Something that we can't produce in ourselves. We have to accept it from God by faith. It's a faith that requires us to say, by faith I rest at the fact that God will not accept anything that I bring to him because it is tainted goods. And it's a faith that says God will accept what Jesus Christ has done for me in his perfect life and his perfect death and his perfect resurrection on my behalf. And it's a faith that says I cannot, that what Jesus did was perfect and complete and lacking in nothing that if I add one thing to it, I negate it and make it less. But notice what the result of that faith is. He, he, talk, he says, well, you know, whatever I, I could do to gain Christ, to gain Christ, that is first and foremost, Jesus Christ becomes ours. It becomes, he becomes our boast that, that, that we can take Christ and we can put him in our gain column. That is the currency that we have to offer the, the throne of grace to say, Father, Jesus is his perfect righteousness. That's that's what I offer. Um, but also, it says, um, verse 9, and to be found in him. Well, who's, who's doing the finding? God is doing the finding. That by faith, when we trust in Christ Jesus, you know, when God comes to looking for righteousness and he sees us, he sees his son and his perfection and he says, yes, perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ. But then the third thing that he says, which is surprising, is there verse 10, he says, that I may, this is Paul talking, that I may know him, know Christ, and the power of his resurrection. You know, we know more about the person of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection from the writings of Paul. And yet it's Paul that's saying that he that he, he suffered the loss of all things, that he would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. But beloved, isn't it true that there is um, something very different between knowing of something and knowing something? I mean, most of us here know of Six Flags over Texas and many of the rides there, but some of us know what it is to ride the, the Titan to be on the front seat looking down that steep incline with your, and then, and then falling and feeling the, your stomach come up to your throat and feeling the wind in your hair and nearly blacking out in the, the last you know, circles at the, at the end of the ride. Some of us know that. There are young girls that know of the love of a wife for her husband or single men who know of the love of a father for his children but a wife knows that love. Father knows that love for his kids. And, and you might have noticed that in the Old Testament, often you see this, this phrase that the man knew his wife and she conceived and bore a child. This, this knowledge that Paul talks about is not simply just intellectual, but it's intimate. It is experiential. 
And Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And his way to get there is through faith, but it's lived out in this life as we fix our eyes on the heavenly goal. He says that I may share his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's not saying we need to doubt that we have resurrection from the dead. That's our, in Christ Jesus, we have a sure hope. We will see our Father's face. We will be raised from the dead. But what he's saying is that by faith, by setting aside ourselves, by pursuing Christ and Christ alone, we, we will suffer for the sake of Christ. We will, we will be participants sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And even in the midst of that, we are also experiencing the power of his resurrection in our lives, in the midst of a watching world, bearing witness to him through our faith, our perseverance, our pursuit of holiness, our love for Christ, our denial of ourselves, our love for one another. That's the power of the resurrection in our lives. And, beloved, this is a pursuit that is, needs to be a relentless pursuit for us in Christ Jesus. Because, notice, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, verse 12, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And what, a, what an encouragement that ought to be to you and to me because we know that we are not perfect. And it's easy for us to look at ourselves and say, what have I done wrong? Where have I gone wrong? Where are the mistakes that I've made? Why am I still struggling with this sin? Why am I still ignorant of what God says to me? Why am I not more faithful? Why am I not good enough? And Paul says, join the club. I'm not perfect either. And he takes them in, the hand, in, the, in his hands, like a, put his hands on their shoulders, and he says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Beloved, all of us on this side of glory, even the Apostle Paul, ache at the incompleteness of our salvation and the incompleteness of our faith. But the prescription is to fix our eyes on Jesus, that we have a sure prize, a sure goal, because we have a sure Savior who has offered us sure salvation in Jesus Christ. He waits for us there even now. And, and Paul's prescription for us is to run. He says, as Jesus said, if you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. And the Spirit says, pursue after Christ. Because what, what does Paul say? He uses this metaphor of a race. He says, he says one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
He says, forgetting what lies behind. Not in an absolute sense, because he's just talked about his past. But he says, let's, let's leave it behind. The past is the past. That doesn't matter so much as pursuing after Christ now, today, every day. Whether it's the, your, your life before you came to know Christ Jesus. Or your immaturity after you came to know Jesus. Or if even the successes of yesterday and the day before. Leave it behind. Those things don't matter. Those qualifications or achievements that you have or have not done don't matter. Pursue Christ now. Strain ahead. The prize is out there. Go get it. Because, not because you've earned it. But he says, I do not consider I've made it my own, but I make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, that's strong encouragement. That in, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you know anything of his love, it is because he made you his own. He made you his own. We already heard in the book of Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of the Lord Jesus. That is why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Or Paul now says, strain ahead to the prize because it is ours. It is strong encouragement. Beloved, how do we do that? How do we do that? Uh, I, I would offer this, this humble solution or, or, or suggestion. Stop looking back and fix your eyes on Christ. Pray and rejoice. A daily work by the Spirit of Christ of rejoicing in Christ Jesus. As he began in verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. Do it saturated with prayer. Pray that the Lord, by his Spirit, would reveal to you how you are clinging on to your own self, your own goodness, your position, your accomplishments, and let that go. Pray that the Spirit would give you the strength to count that as loss, as rubbish that is worth nothing. Pray that the Spirit would help you to know Christ, his sufferings, and yes, the power of the res his resurrection in your life. And then rejoice. When he provides those things, rejoice that when you suffer, you get to suffer and share in his sufferings. That's evidence of your union with him. Suffer when you, you feel that hatred of the sin that is within you. When you feel the weakness of your flesh and the reproach of Christ. Rejoice when you feel the power or you sense the power of Christ's resurrection. When you are able to put to death those sins. When you're able to set them aside. When you're able to stand up under temptation. When you're able to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And praise his name. When you're able to bear witness. Where before you shrunk back in fear. Rejoice in these things. And rejoice that Christ um, of his grace to make that he made you his own. And beloved, our salvation is truly a matter of 
knowledge. It's a matter of knowledge. Because the, the Lord Jesus said, this is eternal life. This is what he prayed in the book of John. He said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And beloved, in, our, in, our, in ourselves, we do not know who Jesus is. We do not know who God is. We know only sin. We only know rebellion in thought, word, and deed in every which way, which is why we are always looking for a way to justify ourselves by our own deeds. We don't want to have anything to do with him. But God knew us, and he loved us enough to send his son to know us, to know our weakness, to know the temptations that we face, to know our suffering so that we could know him. Paul said, God made him the Lord Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Do you know the power of his resurrection? Can you say that you have been found in him? Beloved, if you cannot say that, then hear this clearly. The, the Almighty God offers you his son this morning. He offers him freely. He came for you. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what is in your past, what you have done, or how hard your heart has been, or how old you are. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's mercy. There is not a sin that Jesus Christ, his sacrifice cannot pay the price for. There is not a heart so hard that God by his spirit can't soften. And even if you were 100 years old, beloved, that is a blip in the span of, his, of eternity. The sovereign God of the universe offers you his son. And Jesus says, I came to know you that you might have know him, and have eternal life. But beloved, if you do know Jesus, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice that this, everything that we're experiencing, it's not the end. We have a prize set before us. We are running towards that prize. We are straining for that prize because it will be ours because Jesus Christ has made us his own. So may we all rejoice in the Lord because in him and him alone there is fullness of joy forevermore. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have loved us enough to give us your son. Thank you that you didn't just leave us in our sin and misery even this morning that you would remind us of your grace and your love and your loving pursuit, the work of your spirit within us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is our hope and our salvation. Help us to truly set aside those things which keep us from gaining Christ with all of our heart, from being found in him. Help us to strain forward and take hold of that which is ours in Christ Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.